a playlist original. Welcome back to another episode of Cheatin' Explains. Hope you all are feeling great this weekend and this week in general and everything in South Africa has been madness weather-wise. So I really hope you and your families are doing okay. Today's episode is on Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix or Harry Potter 5 if you don't want to watch the movies. Which, if you've come this far, you might as well watch the movies. You've listened to more podcasts than there are movies currently. So you might as well just go watch them. I have gripped you. Imagine what the actual movies can do for you when you can see what I'm talking about. From episode 7, everything starts to get a bit darker, so just your fair warning that it gets worse with each movie. It's not PG-13 anymore, it's, it gets quite dark, which I think is really cool, but today I'm going to take you through the fifth movie in the franchise. Welcome to your fifth year at Hogwarts, and again, I don't think I need to keep saying this because the movies are older than most of you and most of me, like there's more of me, but the movies are older than a lot of us. Not me, but in general, it's quite old. It's close to my age. But heavy spoilers coming your way today. Thank you so much and hope you enjoy. We start with the WB logo and that lovely Harry Potter music that if you just closed your eyes, I'm pretty sure you can hear by now. You're closing your eyes, aren't you? <laughs> but we are immediately hit with the Harry Potter logo and the Order of the Phoenix. Oh, so many jokes are planned for this title. But it's the first time that we've had the Harry Potter title screen immediately with nothing before. Then we cut to a wide shot of England. I've never been there, so I need you to just use your imagination, which I guess you've been doing since the first episode, which is the point of a podcast. So just keep doing that. Harry is walking in a park and he goes and he sits on a swing. You can see he's not doing too well and to improve his mood, we get my least favorite character in the entire franchise. Dudley, Harry's cousin. Remember that, it's important for what comes next. Harry has been having nightmares about Cedric. Y'all remember that Batman was in the last movie and he sort of died it. But after Cedric died, Harry has never fully recovered, understandably, and Harry talks in his sleep. To which Dudley comes and says to Harry, he kept mumbling in his sleep, no, don't hurt Cedric. Who's Cedric Potter? Is he your girlfriend? If this doesn't make you want to punch Dudley, then what he says next will 100% make you want to smack him. Where's your mother, Potter? Is she dead? Now remember when I said that the cousin is part is important? Making Harry's mother, Lily, Dudley's auntie. What kind of demon nephew are that? A brown auntie would never. She would smack this child so fast. Anyway, as we know that if you want to die, you insult Harry's parents. He takes out his wand to scare Dudley, but as he is questioning whether to turn Dudley into dust, the skies turn grey a bit too quickly to call it naturally. They both start running as it starts raining. They both make it to a tunnel to start catching their breath, but things turn icy cold. Oh, that's not good. A Dementor comes in and holds Harry against the wall. Run, Dudley! But it's too late. Another Dementor appears and pins Dudley down, and the Dementors start extracting the souls from both Harry and Dudley. But luck is on Harry's side, which is just like every other near-death experience with Harry, but he is able to cast Expecto Patronum and chases the two Dementors away. He's okay because he's been through this before, but Dudley is laying on the floor twitching like a little baby boo who deserved it. But I'm not evil, so I'm just gonna let it go. As Harry is trying to make sure he's okay, an old auntie comes into the tunnel. It's their muggle neighbor from across the street, Mrs. Fig, with two Gs. And she tells Harry, Oh, don't put your wand away, Harry. You might come back. 
how does this one know about wands and magic and things? As they're walking back home, Mrs. Fig tells Harry that Dumbledore asked her to keep an eye on Harry ever since Voldy killed the Diggory boy. She's just there for a little added protection. Harry and Dudley finally get back inside and obviously Uncle and Auntie Dursley are so worried about Dudley. They ask him, who did this to you, my boy? And Dudley slowly raises his hand and points at Harry. He's a little bit off at the moment. A couple minutes later, Harry receives a letter from the Ministry of Magic for his use of underage magic in front of a muggle. Technically, it's saying that he used magic to harm a muggle, but that's not the point. The letter is also an expulsion letter from Hogwarts signed before the Hopcock. That'll be important later. You can just see the joy in Uncle Vernon's face. He's so happy with Harry's misery, which is really, really twisted when you think about why Harry is miserable. So clearly feeling defeated, Harry goes up to his room and starts looking at the same picture of his parents that he always looks at when he's sad. Now remember that pictures in the Harry Potter universe move. They're like a live picture. And the picture that he keeps looking at is a picture of his parents hugging and smiling in the snow. We cut to Harry sleeping again. So sweet he is, such a lazy thing but he's still having nightmares about the night Cedric died. Harry wakes up to his doorknob jiggling. Who is making noise at this hour? But the doorknob slowly turns and instead of Harry doing something, literally anything, like getting his wand to defend himself, he just watches the doorknob turn. But it's Mad-Eye, the real one, not the fake one that, you know, with the, you know. And a lot of people who have come to rescue Harry and get him out of the house. They get outside and there's this girl with purple hair who Mad-Eye says to, be quiet, Nymphadora. Don't call me Nymphadora. And her hair changes to red to reflect how angry she is. But they all get on their broomsticks and Harry's broom so they can fly away from the house without being detected by the Ministry. They have to fly back to HQ. And to lift everyone's spirits, Mad-Eye says to the group, Don't break ranks if someone gets killed. On that cheerful note, they all fly across London and land at a very normal-looking apartment complex building. That is until Mad-Eye taps his walking stick on the ground and the entire building starts to move apart from the centre, creating a new section of the apartment. And if you're wondering, the muggles inside this apartment complex building, they cannot feel a thing. Honestly, it's a wonder how wizards have not just taken over at this point. They go inside and we see everyone, Sirius, Remus, Molly and Arthur Weasley and the rest of the people that flew with Harry and Mad-Eye. Sirius is saying, we need to act now. Voldemort is getting stronger by the minute. But they see Harry and decide it's better that they talk when he's not here. So Harry goes upstairs. While Harry is about to walk up the stairs, he sees a much older, much angrier looking house elf that serves the House of Black. His name is Creature. At the top of the stairs, Harry, says Hermione. Her and Ron greet Harry and they tell Harry about the Order. The what? The Order of the Phoenix. It's a secret society that Dumbledore made back in the day when they were fighting you-know-who. I don't really know why I can't say his name, but I'm talking about Voldemort. Molly and Arthur and Sirius and Remus and all the people that came to get Harry that night are all part of the Order. Dumbledore told Hermione and Ron not to say anything to Harry. Yes, because that makes sense. Let's keep the one wizard in the entire world that could actually help the situation in the dark. That's cool. Who is Harry even going to tell? He literally has two friends that already knew about the order. Anyways, the twins, Fred and George, apparate into the room. Ginny is also there and is very excited to see Harry. You can't see it now, but I'm smirking. 
for a reason, for foreshadowing. Anywho, obviously the kids want to know what everyone downstairs is talking about. So the twins have this ear. It's like a one-way mic where anything the ear hears, they can hear on the other side of the string. It's a very complicated way to spy on someone, trust me. But they lower the ear down so they can hear what's happening. They're acting like typical aunties now, must know everything, all the stories. But the kids hear them talking downstairs and we hear that plot twist. Severus Snape himself, yes that one, is part of the order. And everything he has been doing since the first movie was to protect Harry under Dumbledore's orders. Oh my god, madness. So he's not such a bad guy, he's just, you know, angry all the time. So remember I said that the twins apparated into the room and Harry got expelled for underage magic? Which means that the twins are old enough to use magic outside of Hogwarts. They're 17, which is when you're old enough as a wizard. But how did the Ministry know that Harry used magic? Well, I'm glad you asked. It's not really explained in the movies, but the Ministry of Magic has a trace on all wizards in their records. I don't know what it is, and I don't know how it works. All we know is that there is a trace on all the students, which wears off after they turn 17. If you're not paying attention to like three lines about it spread across the entire series, you will miss the trace thing completely. But that's why you have me. Anyway, Everyone is now downstairs and they're all having dinner and Harry hugs Sirius because again, he's the only real family that Harry has at this point. While at the table, Sirius and Remus tell Harry that the Ministry think that Harry is lying about the Dark Lord returning. Cornelius Fudge, the Minister of Magic, thinks that Harry and Dumbledore are concocting this story so that Dumbledore can replace Fudge as the new Minister, which literally makes zero sense but I'm not going to question how wizards think at this point. I'm five movies deep, I'm not going to question it. They tell Harry, and well, by extension, they tell everyone, that the Dark Army is growing. He's recruiting, and it's not just witches and wizards. Sirius and Remus think that the Lord Voldemort himself is looking for something, like a weapon. And I need you to remember this line. He's looking for a weapon. It's a very, very important line. So I shall add that to the pile of foreshadowing, which right now is almost as big as my giant head, but not just yet. And with that, Molly interrupts to say that Harry is just a boy and she would like him to stay that way for as long as possible. Harry is like a son to her and Molly is the closest thing that Harry has had to a mother. But Harry being the special child that he is, wants to join the fight. We cut to Arthur Weasley and Harry walking in the train station and we can see that Arthur has never used a train in his life. They walk to a phone booth in the streets and it's an entrance to the Ministry of Magic. It is a guest entrance that's an elevator to the Ministry. The entrances to the Ministry are really, really interesting. They even have a hallway that is just fireplaces so people can travel via flu powder. Remember that green fire powder trick from the second movie? Yeah, same, same. They inside the Ministry and walking to Harry's expulsion hearing. They came early to be prepared, but um, the hearing has been changed to right now. Cook. So the hearing is Harry's court case to determine whether or not he should be expelled and what what. His hearing is in the Department of Mysteries, and as they walk into the door, Harry sees Lucius Malfoy talking to Big Fudge. Arthur tells Harry to speak only when spoken to. That's very important. There are three important people in this hearing, minus Harry, obviously. There's Judge Fudge Cornelius, his right-hand demon whammon, Dolores Ubridge, and Mafalda Hopcock, the person who signed his letter at home. There are other members there, but they're not really important. So they start questioning Harry and ask if he has anyone to speak on his behalf. And in walks 
Albus Percival Wolfric Brian Dumbledore. Dumbledore is his witness and asks for the charges against Harry. They say producing a Patronus charm in front of a muggle, which I find very strange considering in the third movie, Harry could have killed that one auntie he turned into a balloon. And Cornelius Fudge himself told Harry to just calm down and relax, you know, just, it's okay, it's fine. But anyway, I'm not going to question how wizards think, even though this time Harry just, you know, produced a light bulb. But it's fine, I'm not, I'm not going to question it. I don't question it. Harry tells them that he had to use the Patronus charm because of the Dementor, to which Big Fudge says that it's very convenient to say that considering muggles cannot see Dementors, which I'll be honest, makes sense now. If people could see Dementors, we would be traumatized. But that's why Dudley thought it was Harry's fault. We are making sense of the madness. Anyway, Dumbledore says that they do have an actual eyewitness to the event. Well, an eyewitness being a bit of a strong term, but they call on Mrs. Fig, the gangster. Now what's interesting here is that she does not actually describe what the Dementors look like because she's a muggle and she can't actually see them. But what she does describe is the feeling when the Dementors were around. She says that it felt cold, like all the happiness in the world had been sucked away. Now I never told you this, but in Prisoner of Azkaban that is exactly how Ron describes the feeling when they are attacked by a Dementor in the train cart when we meet Remus for the first time. And this is why I hope you've been paying attention. I am leaving clues and bread comes for you to follow. I'm so smart. Sometimes I don't leave them and I just pick up later, but just pay attention is what I'm saying. This testimony is also very important because wizards also know what the mentors feel like. But Dumbledore tells them, given the recent events of Dark Lord Evaldi, that it could be a possibility that Voldemort himself sent them to attack Harry. You must listen to reason, Cornelius, says Dumbledore. He's not back, says Fudge. And then Umbridge cuts in, says, Dementors are controlled by only the Ministry. It sounds to me that you're placing the blame on the Ministry, saying that we sent them to Harry. To which Dumbledore actually gives a very key piece of information, that magic can be used in front of muggles in life-threatening situations, which is kind of interesting going forward because I didn't know that. They then have to vote on whether or not Harry should be expelled, which is why there were so many other members part of that hearing. Thankfully, Harry wins by majority vote. Otherwise, there wouldn't be any movie left because what would Harry do without Hogwarts? We cut to a train station, which I still haven't figured out why yet, but Mad-Eye is walking with Harry and we see a dog come closer to the two of them. And when that happens, Mad-Eye says, Damn it, Padfoot, you'll blow this whole operation. Now, I know I've given you Sirius's dog name already, but this is the first time that we hear it, Padfoot. I just gave it to you so you wouldn't be confused now in this moment. Also, it ties into the whole Marauder's Map situation. See, I'm so nice to your rubbish things. But Sirius needed to see Harry one last time before they all part ways. And he gives him a picture of the original Order of the Phoenix when it was first formed all those years ago. Hagrid is there, Sirius, Remus, even James and Lily but also, more importantly, Neville Longbottom's parents, which is only the second time we ever hear about them, but it's also really the first time that we ever see them. It is the first and only time that we ever see them, and it's actually a very cute scene. We cut to Harry walking onto the train to Hogwarts, but in the crowd he sees Voldemort standing in front of him in a black suit looking at him. But Harry wakes up in the train cart with Hermione and Ron. He was having a nightmare, which 
nothing new considering that the boy has been through some trauma but they eventually arrive at Hogwarts and I would just like to say that every year when they come to the castle they come there in a different way it's like they couldn't decide on how to get the students from the train to the castle for example this time they're going by carriage being pulled by invisible horses last year or the year before at Hogwarts they went by boat decide pick one but Harry can see them, the invisible, not so invisible horses. Everyone thinks he's going mad, but they look like demonic Pegasus, but dead. They meet Neville at the carriage, and we also see a young girl with white hair. And her first line is to Harry, Oh, you're not going mad. I can see them too, the, the horses. Like she, one mind reader man. But Hermione says, this is Luna Lovegood. Yes, they call her Looney Lovegood which is so mean. But Neville, Ron, Hermione, Harry and Luna travel to the castle. Once inside, we cut to the dining hall where everyone is eating and having that opening feast. Very good time. We also briefly see that Luna is a Ravenclaw, which you would not know at all if you did not look at a small chest pocket area on her robes. That is how little Ravenclaw and Hufflepuff matter in these movies. We start the year the same way we start every year at Hogwarts with a speech and opening greeting from Dumbledore and of course a new defense against the dark arts teacher. We get one every single movie and at this point Hogwarts goes through defense teachers like I go through water and the new defense against the dark arts teacher Dolores Umbridge. Oh this woman but she's wearing all pink which is not important to the plot I just don't like the fact that she does it and she interrupts Dumbledore's opening speech and at that point Literally no one likes her, except Filch and his cat. Filch is falling in love with this woman, but it means that the Ministry is interfering at Hogwarts, and this is purely because Fudge does not trust Dumbledore. Now on the other side of it all, the rest of the students don't really trust Harry either. They all think he's lying about you-know-who and about the fact that Voldemort killed Cedric. Even Seamus thinks that Harry is full of crack, and Seamus has been with all of them since first year. That is literally the only reason I mentioned him in episode one, is so that I could talk about Seamus right here and how he carries a bit of the plot forward in this movie and in the later movies. But at least Ron is defending Harry and standing up for his friend, even though a year ago, Ron got angry at Harry over a piece of paper and a goblet of fire. I'm not questioning the mind of a wizard anymore. That night, Harry is having another nightmare. He is slithering in a corner that looks exactly like the corridor he walked through to go to his hearing for his expulsion. He is the snake. It's very much like the other dreams he had last year where he was Nagini in the Goblet of Fire, slithering through the graveyard and into that room past the old caretaker. But this time, he's just slithering forward. He sees Voldemort and instantly wakes up. We get to Umbridge's first defense against the dark arts class and dear god this woman. I hate her because I know what happens and most Harry Potter fans don't like her. And you'll understand why after you hear about this and why we don't like this whammon. She starts going on about the students O-level wizard exams, more commonly known as OWLs, which I won't lie is a brilliant name for an examination. Also. I would just like to point out that this is the first time in five years that we've ever heard of exams taking place at Hogwarts. Maybe that's why Harry only knows like three spells. But anyway, 
she starts going on about learning about all the magic they'll learn, only theoretically. They will also only be learning this theory magic from ministry-approved textbooks. Hermione then asks the right question. So we're going to learn about magic without using magic? The ministry believes that you should be learning everything you can in a risk-free, safe environment. Which is basically the same as saying, no, you're not going to learn magic. Harry then asks the right question again. But none of this is going to work if we're ever attacked. It took him nearly five years, but the boy who lived is actually thinking about how he can use his three spells. Yes, I complimented him and insulted him at the same time. It's called balance. But who, dear boy, would attack you? Oh, I don't know, Voldemort for starters? Umbridge dismisses this, and when Harry keeps insisting, saying he's back, it's real, it's happening, he could attack at any moment, she shouts, enough! And says that students must not speak out of turn, and gives Harry detention. We cut to Umbridge with Harry in detention, where he has to write down a phrase down the side of a page like a hundred times. Now, little bit of advice from Keaton to you, just for free. If they never use this punishment for them in school, they are too young for you. Boys, girls, walk away. If you are my age and you're talking to someone who never had to write down, I will not talk in class a hundred times down the side of a page, flip over the page. If they never had to do that, they are too young for you. Walk away, end it, move on, it's okay. Don't, no, 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 no. But the phrase that Harry must write down is, I must not tell lies. And Umbridge says, write it down as many times as you'd like until the message sinks in. She gives Harry her special quill pen, which again, I would just like to point out that in the wizarding world where you can make things appear out of thin air, they don't have pens, they use feathers and dip it into an ink pot. Sure, I guess, okay. But Harry starts writing. With each letter, his left hand starts to burn more and more like the scar on his forehead. And when he's done with the first line, he sees the line being scratched and cut across his knuckles. I must not tell lies. And while Harry receives his punishment, Umbridge is smiling with each cut. Harry is rightfully terrified of this woman and decides, you know what, one line is enough. This woman is pure evil, man. And then she delivers the chilling line. You're here because you know, deep down, you deserve to be punished. I hate her so much, but she did such a good job as Umbridge. There's so many mixed feelings. Like, she's such a good villain, but oh my god, I hate her so much. So to break away from that tense situation, we cut to the twins selling their own sweets to help kids get out of class. They can make you sick, they can make your face turn green, or they can make your face twist. It's really, really cool. They're little entrepreneurs now, man, they're growing up. But that's something I need you to remember for the next movie. But in the corridors, the trio is sitting somewhere and Hermione, after seeing Harry's hand, says that that woman is torturing you. It's not that simple, Hermione, which is true. Think about it for a second. The Ministry doesn't trust Dumbledore and by extension, they don't trust Harry either. They think that they are plotting against the Ministry and Umbridge was sent there to control the situation. They Umbridge is basically a spy for the Ministry on the inside and she has the power to do whatever she wants. Who could they tell about Umbridge? It would make things way worse because all Umbridge would do is punish the students. Later that day, Harry is writing to Sirius, saying he doesn't know what to do and that he feels more alone than ever. It's also important to note that Dumbledore has been keeping his distance from Harry, pretty much ignoring him the entire year. 
I didn't know where else to put that important information in this episode, so yeah, here it is. But as Harry lets Hedwig fly with the letter, she flies over Hagrid's house and Harry sees a black wing figure flying above the forest and then dive beneath the trees. Now, a normal person would be like, let's not see what that demon was in the forest, I'm just gonna go back inside. But Harry, in his mind, is like, that's a great idea, I wanna go see. And he goes alone into the forest to see what this dark figure could be, because he's special. Thankfully though, Harry sees Luna, Lovegood, talking to and playing with those same dark horse thingies that her and Harry could see pulling the carriages. It's not really explained, but Luna is really good at making friends with dead things. She struggles with people, but even some of the ghosts in the castle like her more than they like other students. But she is petting the creatures and she says that they are called Thestrals and they can only be seen by someone who has seen death. When Luna was nine, her mother died in front of her and while Harry, well, you know, you know that story. But something about Luna is that she's a lot more aware than other students. She tells Harry that she believes him about you know who. She says, if I were him, I'd want you to feel alone. Cause if it's just you, not that much of a threat. We cut to McGonagall talking to Umbridge on the stairs. She's trying to stand up for her students. And McGonagall is questioning Umbridge's archaic punishments and ways of torture. And Umbridge says that questioning her methods is the same as questioning the ministry and by extension, the minister. Anyone questioning those things will be seen as disloyalty. I know, the English, but that's what she says and it makes more sense when Umbridge says it because you know, she just does a really great job. Now for those of you who don't know, disloyalty under the ministry is actually punishable by prison in Azkaban. So it's not a good thing. And as such, McGonagall backs down and Umbridge telling her and all the students listening with a smile that things are about to change at Hogwarts. Ah, oh, this woman does such a good job with Umbridge. Oh my God, like, ah, oh, you just want to hate her, but she's such a good villain. Oh. With that, we get flashes of Umbridge getting promoted to High Inquisitor at Hogwarts, which gives her headmaster-like status over Hogwarts. And she goes absolutely mad with power. She makes rules about the uniform, no untucked pants, students must maintain a social distance, and even bans the use of magic on Hogwarts grounds. No magic at the school of magic, I agree. But while she's doing this, each rule is being hung up and framed on a wall. During this montage, Umbridge is going around inspecting all the teachers at Hogwarts, even going so far as to ask Sybil Trebonius, the same professor who gave Harry a prophecy in the third movie, for an on-the-spot prediction. And because Sybil can't really control when she gets these predictions and doesn't even know when they happen half the time, it's not looking so good. It gets so bad that Umbridge actually fires Sybil and attempts to banish her from the school grounds. It's actually a really sad scene. All the students even come out to send her off and just see her and say goodbye and they all form in the courtyard. But while Umbridge attempts to banish her, out walks Brian and says, You have the power to dismiss my teachers. You do not, however, have the power to banish them off the grounds. That power remains with the headmaster. And Umbridge says, For now. Foreshadowing! But as McGonagall escorts Sybil back into the castle and everyone goes back to class, 
Harry tries to get Dumbledore's attention, but he does what he's been doing the entire year and avoids Harry like the plague, which when I say out loud is a bit too real to say in 2022. Later that night, we see a radio and Fudge is saying that these recent disappearances are none other than the work of notorious serial killer Sirius Black. Yeah, they still think Sirius is the bad guy. But Sirius needs to contact Harry, so he uses the old head in the fireplace thing he did last year. Sirius tells Harry that these disappearances were the same way it happened last time and that Fudge doesn't want the students prepping for war. Fudge thinks that Dumbledore is building an army and that scares the Ministry, which says a lot about the Ministry if they're scared of Three Spell Potter, but it's fine. And this time, Hermione suggests, why doesn't Harry teach them how to defend themselves against the dark arts considering, you know, the past four movies? So they spread the word and decide to meet up near Hogsmeade away from Hogwarts, the village that's like close by. And actually a lot of people show up, the twins, Cho, Ginny, Luna, Seamus, and a lot of other people. Neville is there as well. Harry is not exactly a man of words, he's not very confident in the situation, so Hermione does the talking for him, and they start naming the things that he's done so far up until this movie. The Basilisk, the Dementors, being able to cast a Patronus, even facing you-know-who. But Harry says literally what I've been saying this entire time. He says half the time he didn't know what he was doing and almost always had help, and I've been saying this, I'm very glad he's a self-aware lucky person. He even tells them, in school, if you make a mistake, you can just try again tomorrow, but out there, when you're a second away from being murdered, you don't know what it's like. But they ask if you know who is really back, and for the first time, Hermione says, if we're going to fight Voldemort, then we'll need all the help we can get. And this is one of the first times that a character that isn't a professor or Dumbledore or Harry or a Death Eater has said Voldemort's name. It's actually a really cool scene. This actually gets everyone to sign up for Dumbledore's army. They sign their names and they need to start planning. The trio, Neville and Ginny, are walking across that same bridge that leads away from the courtyard. Again, it's a very important bridge, so I need to keep bringing it up, but I can't tell you why it's important. Just remember the bridge that leads away from the courtyard. But they're walking and talking and trying to figure out a place that they can practice the spells. They need a place where Umbridge can't see them, but they can also make a lot of noise. Hermione doesn't really care. She's just really excited to be breaking the rules and says, at least one good thing came from today, Harry. Cho couldn't keep her eyes off you. Remember, Harry had a thing for Cho the first time he saw her on the train, but then Cho was with Cedric and, well, it's a bit awkward to date her because, of, you know, Cedric is her and Ginny now getting visually jealous when that's brought up. If you're not paying attention, you won't see it, but I need you to remember that Ginny gets jealous. While they're walking towards the castle, though, Umbridge is watching them and decides to fight back by disbanding all student clubs. She's taking all the fun away from everyone. While walking, one day in the corridors, Neville discovers a room that just appears in front of him. It's called the Room of Requirement. It only appears when a student is in great need and is always equipped for the user's needs. So when they get into the room, there is a spell dummy that looks like a Death Eater so that they can actually practice. It's almost like Hogwarts wants them to fight back against Umbridge. And now the kids start practicing in the room to stun opponents with Stupefy. Neville just can't get it. He's not exactly gifted. But every time they go in and out of the room, 
Filch wants to catch them but just can't. So to help him, Umbridge forms the Inquisitors Club. Even though she banned all clubs, but it's fine. But this is literally a club of snitches. And guess who decides to join? Only Slytherin, headed by Malfoy. And they try to help Filch catch the Room of Requirement. They just can't though. But while doing so, while they are on their own mission, Umbridge says that all students must be questioned to see if they know anything about Dumbledore's plans. So because we're not supposed to be doing, you know, the illegal things, the kids in the Room of Requirement start learning about levitation. And they're practicing on each other, which doesn't go so well. And when Harry tries to adjust Cho's one placement during levitation, she accidentally drops the person she's practicing on because, ooh, the chosen one is holding my hands and things. During the same training montage, we see that Ginny is a very powerful witch. They're all standing in a circle casting spells at the dummy, and Ginny casts R Reducto, and she disintegrates the dummy. She's a little bit scary. And finally, at the end of this montage, Neville casts his first Expelliarmus and disarms someone. Everyone, including myself, was very proud of him because they grow up so fast. But their time is over and the next time they'll be able to practice is only after the holidays are done and everyone gets back to Hogwarts. Cho is not leaving just yet and Harry decides to go comfort her. It's very awkward because they're looking at a mirror and there's a picture of Cedric in the mirror and remember pictures move and then the room of requirement grows mistletoe over the two of them and then Harry has his first kiss with Cho in front of her ex-boyfriend who is only an ex because of a technicality it's a very strange scene i'm not gonna lie it makes me very uncomfortable every time i watch the scene later that night harry has another nightmare the same one where he's slithering through the corridor but this time everything is a lot clearer he is the snake and he sees arthur weasley but the snake harry is striking arthur again and again killing him in the process Harry wakes up sweating. Ron and McGonagall take Harry to see Dumbledore. Brian, yes, asks Harry, is he standing above when, when all of this is happening in the dream? But Harry says no, that he is the snake. Dumbledore starts talking to the paintings so that they can get a message to the Weasleys and to the Ministry so that they can help Arthur. But Harry keeps trying to talk to Dumbledore and then, look at me, Harry screams. What's happening to me? Dumbledore immediately asks Snape to start training Harry's mind. Snape takes Harry into a kind of like dungeon, but not really, and they get to work. Not what it sounds like, everyone. But we discover that there is a connection between Harry and Voldemort. And now we have to learn how to shield Harry's mind from Voldemort. It could possibly be a two-way connection, but we're not sure, so we have to start. Snape casts Legitimance, a spell that Snape created. It's very painful but necessary to help Harry. Also, Legilimens literally penetrates the mind and memories, but it's a little bit sore. We cut to Christmas at the Weasleys, but it's also a celebration because Arthur is getting out of the hospital. He's bloodied and bruised and in a wheelchair, but very much alive. Harry saved his life when he told Dumbledore about the dreams. Sirius is there as well, and him and Harry go downstairs to talk a little bit, and they run into Creature who says, The boy who lived. Stop the Dark Lord, friend of mudbloods and blood traitors alike. Creature serves someone else, but will remain loyal to the Black family. We go into a room and Sirius shows Harry his family tree. We see Sirius's cousin, Bellatrix Lestrange, who is a bit deranged. 
is a bit unhinged but he also says that his mother hated him one day Sirius ran away from home and went to stay with James and Lily and when Sirius left his mother burned his face from the family tree which happens when one of the members in the family tree dies she wasn't exactly a good mother harry tells sirius that he's just always so angry all the time what if this connection is making him bad sirius tells harry we've all got light and dark inside of us what matters is the part that we choose to act on when this is all over we can be a proper family which is just the bestest thing ever now this line is so important for past and present movies because even dumbledore said something similar to that in chamber of secrets when he said that the difference between Harry and Tom Riddle are the choices that they make which is why the sorting hat considered putting Harry in Slytherin but Harry chose to be put in Gryffindor we're back at Hogwarts and we finally get to see Hagrid Umbridge is talking to him in his hut and he has a black eye and he's telling this woman I've been away from my health can you not see my black eye but when the trio come to see him he says that Dumbledore sent him to parley with the giants to make sure that they join the cause and remember Hagrid is half giant the problem is is that the death eaters are also trying to convince the giants we see gray skies and Hagrid saying that everything is changing out there just like last time when Valdi did his thing we cut to the death eaters in Azkaban and their dark marks start being activated Bellatrix is in prison as well and just then the walls get blasted out and we see Bellatrix laughing as the storm comes in just then we cut to Fudge talking about the recent break out at Azkaban and blames Sirius Black purely because they're cousins which i think is very rude typical brown family always comparing you to your cousins back in the room of requirement Seamus finally believes Harry about Voldy and Harry goes to see Neville Neville is looking at the mirror with all the pictures that they put and they put a picture of the OG order of the phoenix there as well Neville is looking at his parents and he tells Harry 14 years ago a death eater named Bellatrix Lestrange tortured my parents with the Cruciatus curse but what makes it worse is that they never actually died they were driven completely insane from the torture and they were placed in an insane asylum for witches and wizards which Sirius Black says was a fate far worse than death later on harry starts teaching them the patronus charm he says to think of the happiest memory you can and let it fill you up but as they're practicing the walls start to shake like when the t-rex walks in jurassic park all the glass in the room starts cracking and the wall starts to break away slowly and in the hole we see umbridge yay and she casts bombarda maxima and the entire wall gets blown away Umbridge is there with Fulch, Malfoy and the Inquisitor squad and they have Cho with them as well. Umbridge and Percy, the eldest of the Weasley brothers that are currently at Hogwarts but literally plays no importance to the story or plot or anything, he's just there. Take Harry to Dumbledore and they bring Fudge to see that the kids are actually forming an army for Dumbledore, which is what it said on the sheet, on the sign-up sheet when they signed their names. Dumbledore agrees because like I said, it says it right there, Dumbledore's army. He says this to protect Harry, but they think he's just going to come quietly with them to Azkaban. <laughs> they are so wrong. Dumbledore summons Fawkes the Phoenix and him and Percy apparate out of Hogwarts in a huge flash of white light. Say what you want about Dumbledore, but the man's got style. But now we have a problem. Fulch puts up a new sign. Umbridge has become the new headmaster at Hogwarts. 
What kind of multiverse of madness is this? Umbridge orders Filch to start taking down all the pain teams, which he does happily. Umbridge locks the castle down. No students in, no students out. If you want to go to the bathroom, Umbridge will know about it. Everyone that was in the room of requirement has lines scratched into their hands and arms as punishment, which makes everyone hate Umbridge even more. They're all walking out of their punishment and they see Cho, and she's not exactly their favorite person because she snitched on everyone and that's how everyone got caught. We move to Hagrid talking to the trio and says that Umbridge being headmaster will most likely get him fired and he needs the trio to look after something that he has in the woods. So to the forest of death we go. While Hagrid and the trio are walking, a herd of centaurs, bottom half horse, top half human, are running. Hagrid says that the Ministry has been restricting their territories and if they keep doing that, they'll have an uprising on their hands. Deeper into the forest, Hagrid introduces us to da-da-da-da, Gropi, his brother. Well, half-brother, but more giant than brother. Grop is a little baby in comparison, but he's still massive. I'm talking like first movie troll massive, but he's a baby. He gets excited and he picks up Hermione, but she sternly says, no, put me down. He likes her. Harry and Snape continue their mind training and Harry has really had a lot done to him. Snape looks at more of Harry's memories and says, you're just like your father, arrogant. They look back and forth and Harry in anger casts, legitimates. We take a deeper look into Snape's mind and the reason he is the way he is. It's a memory of James, Sirius and Remus bullying Snape, even holding him upside down and laughing at him. Snape doesn't like it when someone else looks into his mind, so he ends Harry's training and kicks him out. We cut to one of the saddest parts of this whole umbridge cuck. The twins are consoling one of the first years who remember at the time, first years are 11, who had just come out of umbridge's office. He's crying and his hands are still burning. Harry comes to help as well, but Umbridge interrupts them and just looks at them and smiles. This woman is so evil, but the twins think it's time to do something about this whammon. We cut to everyone writing their owls, but a small firework at the entrance of the hall flies in and Umbridge stops it immediately. But as she does, the twins fly in and start unleashing hell in the room. Fireworks, mini explosions, color dust bombs, madness. They even managed to knock down all the rules and regulations that Umbridge put up on the wall. It's time for Hogwarts to start fighting back. But while everyone is rushing outside in the courtyard to celebrate and burn the papers and watch the fireworks, Harry starts to feel sick and weak and goes down to his knees. He looks pale. He's having a vision about Voldemort talking to Sirius using the Cruciatus curse to torture him. Harry also sees a glowing orb, like a snow globe but filled with smoke, and it's in the Department of Mysteries. I think it was two or four episodes ago where I said that you should assume that everything I say is foreshadowing. I really do mean everything. The trio need to sneak out of the castle to save Sirius, but Hermione asks a simple question. What if he's using Sirius to get to you? And Harry says, so what? I can't just let him die. Hermione, he's the only family I have left. The problem with sneaking out right now is that Umbridge is watching all of the exits of the castle, except for one, the one in her office. Ish. The trio sneak in and just as they're about to escape, they are caught by Umbridge and Fulch. The Inquisitor squad is holding Ron and Hermione while Umbridge makes Harry sit and interrogates him. Snape comes to them and Umbridge asks for that truth serum from Goblet of Fire that they used on Barty Crouch Jr. And Snape says, as much as I would love to see Potter squeal his darkest desires, I'm afraid you use the last of it interrogating that troll girl. 
Cho is innocent and Umbridge is crazy. But remember that Snape is part of the Order, so Harry gives him a coded message. He's got Padfoot. He's got Padfoot in the place where it's hidden. Umbridge is like, what this one's talking about, man? Haven't the slightest idea. But because Umbridge is not really getting her way, she tends to resort to more extreme methods. The Cruciatus Curse on Harry. But Hermione says, Harry, if you're not going to show her, then I will. Dumbledore's secret weapon. Hermione starts leading Harry, Ron, and Umbridge into the forest. They have no plan, but this is something. It's better than nothing. They come to where Grop was tied to a tree, but the rope is broken and Gropy isn't there. Umbridge starts losing her mind, saying that this was all a trick and that there isn't a secret weapon, is there? But as she's about to kill the trio, saying that she really hates children, we see a centaur appear at the top of the hill, and the entire herd is behind him. They know Umbridge represents the Ministry, but Umbridge is not taking cuck today. She enchants the rope from the tree and starts strangling the lead centaur. But before she can kill the centaur, Gropy comes back and he just picks her up because he thinks she's a toy. But the centaurs want vengeance. They shoot an arrow into Grop's arm, causing him to drop Umbridge, but the centaurs carry her away into the forest. The witch with the bee is dead. Yes! Now, I know that sounds bad, but come on, guys, she was pure evil. She was demon spawn. They need to get to Sirius tonight, but they still have no idea how to get there. Harry says he needs to go alone, but Neville, Ginny, Ron, Hermione, and Luna say they're not letting him go alone. But how do we get to London? And Luna says, we fly, of course. And see, then we see everyone flying on the back of Thestrals, which when you really think about it, must be super scary for everyone that isn't Harry or Luna because they can't see them. I know I would be scared. They finally make it to the Ministry and inside the Department of Mysteries. They're inside a long black corridor with a blue door at the end. The same corridor that Harry has been having nightmares about whenever he saw himself as Nagini the Snake. Inside the blue door is a huge never-ending room with corridors and shelves that are all numbered, all holding those same snow globes with the smoke in it. As they're walking, Neville stops and he says, Harry, it's got your name on it. And when Harry holds it, we get our second prophecy of the series. The one with the power to vanquish the Dark Lord approaches. And the Dark Lord shall mark him as his equal. But he shall have power the Dark Lord knows not. For neither can live while the other survives. Oh, this is bad. But what makes it worse? Hermione sees a Death Eater approaching them from the shadows. It's Lucius Malfoy. They never had Sirius. It was just too easy to get to Harry. Bellatrix Lestrange comes from behind the shadows behind Lucius. Neville is just not having this. This is the first time he's seen his parents' torturer. And her first question she asks, Never Longbottom, is it? How's mom and dad? Better now that they're about to be avenged. But they can't let Neville fight this and the kids cannot win this fight head on. More Death Eaters start approaching them from all directions while Lucius talks to Harry. Don't you want to know the secret behind your scar? I can show you everything. Just give me the prophecy. Stupefy! They cast in every direction and the kids start running back to the door. Now remember when I said that Ginny is a very powerful witch? Well, one of the Death Eaters tried to come for her and she casts Reducto, which blasts this man across the warehouse, also causing a tiny, small, mini, blue explosion. 
that may or may not cause the entire room to start breaking and all the snow globes in the room to start falling and the shelves to break and fall and oh no it's bad they make it to the door but they fall down the entire corridor has just disappeared but they come to a room with a stone archway in the middle and a smoke coming through and around the archway but the death eaters are right behind them in their black smoke form the death eaters disarm all the kids and separate them each taking one of the kids as a hostage bellatrix takes neville as her own they leave harry in the middle and lucius is talking to harry you think children stood a chance against the dark army now give me the prophecy or watch your friends die harry has no choice but to give lucius the orb but luckily enough the order of the phoenix burst in as balls of light the complete opposite of the Death Eaters. One Order member for each Death Eater. The Order versus the Death Eaters and the Order is winning and then Sirius comes next to Harry. Step away from my godson and punches Lucius to drop the prophecy and break it. And in an epic fight breaks out. Lucius, an unnamed Death Eater, versus Sirius Black and Harry Potter. They defend, defend, cast spells, cast spells, defend and attack back. Sirius gets excited and says, Nice one, James! If that line doesn't want to make you cry, then I don't know what will. Sirius disarms Lucius and the fight is won. But the victory is short-lived. In the confusion and chaos, Bellatrix lands away from everyone and casts Avada Kedavra on Sirius Black. When I tell you, I cried and I cry every time I watch this scene. Harry screams as Remus holds him back while he watches Sirius slowly walk back and his body fade into the smoke from the archway. Bellatrix runs out the room and Harry breaks away from Remus. While he's chasing her down, she's singing, I killed Sirius Black, I killed Sirius Black. You're coming, you're coming to get me. Harry finally catches up to her and he wants to kill her. Voldemort is in his head telling him to do it. You know the spell. She took everything from you. But as Harry decides not to, Voldemort actually appears so weak. I tried really hard not to say that as Uncle Roger, so um, just be proud of me. But he's not alone. In walks Dumbledore, and it's time to take Tom Riddle back to school. Voldemort creates fires everywhere and creates a fire snake that tries to engulf Dumbledore and Harry. But Dumbledore uses the water from the fountain and blocks the attack, overpowering Voldemort and eventually trapping Voldemort in a water prison trying to drown him, but Voldemort bursts out of the bubble, creating a massive shockwave that breaks everything and all the glass in the area. During the intensity of the fight, Bellatrix is able to escape, but the fight continues. Voldemort is able to pick up all the glass and throws it towards Harry and Dumbledore, but Dumbledore is ready. He creates a circle portal in front of them, and as the glass goes towards them and passes through the portal, all the glass shards turn into sand. This is like some Thanos vs Doctor Strange type fight. This is one of the best displays of combat and destructive magic in the entire series. When I say epic fight sequence, I mean epic one-on-one -on -one master vs student magic fight sequence, my god! But Voldemort has one more trick up his sleeve. Remember, we've already established that the connection between Harry and Voldemort is a two-way connection. So, Voldemort takes control of Harry's body, speaking as Harry to Dumbledore. You've lost, old man. He makes Harry see all the memories, everyone who died in front of him, everyone who fought the fight, but the fight was pointless. 
and Harry sees Voldemort as his own reflection. But Harry fights with everything he has, breaking the mirror in front of him. He starts to remember all the happy memories. Him and Sirius and Remus and him and Hermione and Ron and his parents. You say we're weak, but we're not the same. You'll never know love or friendship. And that's what makes us different. That's why you'll never win. This flood of positive memories is just enough to force Voldemort out of Harry's mind. Weak from the mental strain, Harry lies on the floor in a beam of light as Voldemort stands over his body. You will lose everything. As Dumbledore watches in disbelief, but for once in five years, Cornelius Fudge himself is in the right place at the right time. My god, the worst part about this is that all of this chaos was happening at the Ministry of Magic. He is the Minister of Magic. You'd think there'd be a faster way or at minimum an alarm for him to know, maybe I should go back to the office, some things are being blown up. But he's able to see Voldemort just as the Dark Lord disappears into the smoke. He's back. We cut to newspaper headlines saying that he who shall not be named is back. Dumbledore reinstated as headmaster and ministry under internal investigation with a picture of Umbridge being kicked out of Hogwarts. Yay, she's alive. Woo, so happy for her. Woo. Some time has passed and Harry goes to talk with Dumbledore. And Dumbledore says that he's sorry and that he knew about the connection all along. But Dumbledore thought that if he kept his distance from Harry, Voldemort would be less tempted to do anything. What? Cuck is this? This is literally the dumbest thing that this man has ever said or done. And Dumbledore, you will know, has done some dumb things. He is the only protection that Harry has against Voldemort. So dumb, so dumb. But Harry tells Voldemort about the prophecy, and the last line means one of us is going to have to kill each other, or kill the other, doesn't it? That's what it means. Towards the end of the year, he goes to speak with Luna, who says something that I honestly just find beautiful considering the theme of this movie. Things we lose always have a way of coming back to us in the end, just not in the way we expect. It's time to go home and Harry tells everyone as they walk to the train, we've got something that Voldemort will never have, something worth fighting for. For family. No, he doesn't say that, it's just I needed to say it, I needed to get it out of my system. We get one last shot of the castle and the fifth movie ends, leaving us excited but also in tears for what's to come. My god, this movie was a journey. Thank you so, so much for listening to this episode. If you have made it this far, congratulations. You are a podcast champion machine and have expanded your knowledge about Harry Potter. Thank you so much to everyone who takes the time out of their day just to listen to me talk cuck for like an hour. I really do appreciate it. It means the mostest to me. Catch us next week where myself and Fatima do a deep dive into this movie and everything that we've had so far. We try not to spoil coming movies and just try not to spoil in general. We also try not to cry, but that's a different story. But if you think next week is too far away, go check me out on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube at Cheat and Ketty. That's C-H-E-A-T-O-N-K-E-T-T-Y. No caps, no space. Thank you guys so much for listening and you'll hear from me next week. Bye everyone. <laughs>